<laughs> Welcome to church, everybody. It's a good day to be in church, isn't it? Absolutely. Can we celebrate church today? We get to gather together. It's awesome. I'm glad you all are here. You, we're actually in week four of a series called No Offense. And if this is your first time here, go back, check out the last three weeks. You will be blessed and you'll be caught up on some of the things that have happened. And if you're new here, I'd also want you to, to know like we have a campus in Branchville Correctional Facility and every week we welcome those guys. Can, can you help me welcome our guys at Branchville? Guys, love you. Can't wait to see you soon. Thanks for joining us here today as well. And if you're here and you're like, okay, I noticed something different. Uh, okay, Captain Obvious. Yes, I am on a scooter. Okay, I ruptured my right Achilles uh, two weeks ago uh, playing a heroic game of basketball. I think Steph Curry was there and I was guarding him uh, or not. But either way, I ruptured my Achilles and... So I'm, I'm on the scooter for a few weeks. I, I snuck into service last week because uh, I wasn't allowed to drive and Sandy forced me to not drive, so I rode with her. So I snuck in and one of my favorite things is as I'm rolling in, uh, somebody stopped me and they're like, I knew that bear trap was gonna get your foot. I was like, come on, like, am I that accident prone that like you think anything's gonna get me? Like, you, like, like I've done this before, right? Come on, right guys? Could you put that up for me? This is embarrassing, but it is what it is. If you guys notice, anybody, was anybody there Father's Day 2021? Yeah, oh wow, oh gosh, okay, a lot of you. You remember, that was Achilles' left that was ruptured on Father's Day of 2021. This is Achilles' right, or as I affectionately call it, 1.0 and 2.0. I'm upgraded to the 2.0 version, and surgery went great last, last week, and I'm on a recovery. You'll see me on this for uh, a few more weeks. So, but needless to say, I'm here with my wonderful cast and, uh, and with you all. And so today we're in week four of No Offense, but basically like this, this today is kind of me processing Achilles 1.0 and Achilles 2.0. And so the title could be like, Dave had to spend a lot of time alone with God, like a lot. That could be the title. It's not. Uh, today we're talking on bitterness and when it sets in. So if you would, uh, join me right now. I wanna pray before we open this up today that the spirit would speak through us all today. So join me right now in the room online, let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the fact that we can gather together freely and worship you, give you praise, be encouraged by your Holy Spirit, but also God, we can hear your word and we can apply it to our lives. So God, I pray that you would get me out of the way that your Holy Spirit would do the talking, that I would speak no words that aren't from you today. And I pray that you would open our hearts to receive what you have. And we ask all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Now I'm gonna be honest, like, so you see what I've got here. I'm going to sit down because uh, not only did the camera guys, were they deathly afraid of me on a scooter because I move enough without a scooter, uh, but uh, it's just, it's a lot to stand up right now. So I'm putting the scooter down and uh, you, anybody got a basket when they walk around? I do. So there you go. I'm better than you. But uh, here's the thing, like, uh, I wanna say this. Uh, We've got a great team here. All around our space, we have a great team. Kids, greeters, uh, worship, everything. But one of my favorite teams who uh, really takes care of me, Daryl, Chris, everybody, you included, is our production team. Can we give them a hand for all they do? I rupture my Achilles and they're like, you're preaching next week. And I'm like, 
eh. And so they legit went to the office and grabbed my office chair so that I could come and, and hang out with you guys. You, y'all, y'all are awesome. Uh, but you guys see them, just give them a hand because uh, later and say thank you because they're great. Uh, so uh, I'm going to jump in today. This is just kind of me processing through my notes from my time last year with my Achilles and this year with my Achilles. And so we're going to kind of run through several things here in my mind, how it works. So uh, starting out, uh, I got a chance to play a lot of backyard football growing up. Anybody play backyard football growing up or maybe today play it with your kids? Yep. We, we love it at our house. Uh, our boys love it over here and uh, we, we love it. And I get to, st- I still get to play it because I'm all time QB. Uh, which is great because I can do that from here. Uh, I'm all-time defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and part-time ref, okay? So uh, you you can imagine that that creates some challenges uh, because sometimes part-time ref can't make it to the call, so he just has to make a call, right? And and sometimes that leaves the players on the field pretty frustrated. I think they would agree. Uh, So here's one of the things, though. Like In the game of backyard football, I've gotten with our boys, and I don't know if it happened with me, but I've gotten with our boys. I can give you the number one determining factor of who's going to win in the game of backyard football almost every time. Okay, so it's, it's not the guy who's running the tightest routes. It's not. It's not the guy who's got the best defensive coverage, the guy who can move the best to like alleviate, like to get away from tackles. It's not even like, is dad throwing dots today? Because I'm going to be honest, I've got an arm. I'm not bragging, but my boys would tell you the ball is always where they're supposed to be, whether they're there or not, okay? So it's never me. It's never me. That's not the indicating factor. What is the number one indicating factor of who's going to win the game pretty well every time is who can keep the other guy out of their head. Who can keep the other guy out of their head and keep on task with what you're supposed to be doing, not what your body and your brain is telling you you, should, you want to do in the moment, right? Now, now I, I, I tell the boys, like, we don't get frustrated, we give frustrated. That's what we do. Like, we got to keep our head. We work at that really hard. And I'm, like, inspired by guys like Peyton Manning, uh, Andrew Luck, uh, Patrick Mahomes, because those guys, man, they have a focus that is unparalleled. When they are mic'd up in games, you can see them taking hits, whether it's a late hit, you know, a good hit, a bad hit, a bad call, good call. They, they take it and they get up and they're like, good hit. Keep it up. I'll get you next time. And then they do it. Right? Like they just have this poise that nothing throws them off their game. And whether they get the W that day or not, they're always focused on the next play or coming out the next day. And they're always driving towards that thing. They're always ready for the next play at hand. And that kind of inspires me. Now, one of the things is I went through Achilles 1.0 and 2.0. Uh, there was a passage in 2 Corinthians that kind of inspired me also when I think of overcoming unfair, whether it's bad ref calls, late hits, or whether it's life. Like when life hits you unfair, and as followers of Jesus, it's actually Jesus is our best example of overcoming unfair situations. It's Jesus. There's this passage in 2 Corinthians 2, 14, it says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, last year, this this passage kind of stuck out to me. So I wrote it down as I was going through that season. And it really stuck out to me because here's the thing. It's a a triumphal procession. That means a victory parade. 
right? That means like somebody's done good and the whole town has come out to celebrate. They don't throw victory parades for the ones who didn't make it, who didn't overcome the, the obstacles in their way. They, they, they give them for the Super Bowl champions, not for like the third place team. They don't do that. In Jesus's day, they gave victory parades for the warriors who were coming home from battle. When you were coming back victorious from a hard fought victory, as I processed that idea of we're in Jesus's victory parade over death and hell, I really, I really uh, appreciated that image because here's the thing. That means we're on the winning team. I don't know if you know that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are on the winning team. And as I laid there in my little bed made on the floor last year, I needed to hear that because you know what I didn't feel like? A winner. But I'm thankful through Jesus, the fact that he lived a sinless life. And not only did he live a sinless life, he willingly gave himself as a sacrifice for my sins, past, present, and future, and still has the grace to accept me, even though I continue to sin. That's pretty awesome. And that made me feel like a winner. I don't know about you, but I was pretty thankful for the fact that Jesus wants me in his triumphant procession. And that made me pretty proud. The second thing that stands out on me at that is something I think we also need to hear. I don't know if you've watched the History Channel, but a victory means that you fought something, a hard fought battle. And back in the day, like you go into battle, battles are about like overcoming odds, but also creating an unfair advantage against your enemy. It's often said, don't go into a fair fight. It's often said that way, because if you go into a fair fight, you're going to lose. The job is to make it unfair in your favor. And the enemy is trying to do that to you. Whatever you're going through in life, like that's what the enemy is trying to do to you. And that's what the enemy does with bitterness. Psychologists call bitterness a chronic and pervasive sense of smoldering resentment. When I'm playing backyard football, I can see a chronic and pervasive sense of smoldering resentment in my boys. However, as I laid there last year on the floor of our bedroom, with my leg elevated, because that's what the doctor told me to do, even though you can't sleep with your leg elevated. You've got to tell them that. I had this chronic and pervasive sense of smoldering resentment that was just sitting down deep inside. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I don't know if that's you. I've got a feeling that you have problems in your life that are much more difficult than ankle repair surgery. Because guess what? I'm going to be fine. Like a few weeks time, I'm going to be up walking, probably not playing basketball and going to the Sky Zone trampoline park. Like probably not doing that. As my wife says, yes and amen. Uh, but I'm not doing that, but I'll be fine. I've got a feeling you probably have some things in your life that, that are not as easy to get away from. You probably have some things made with your friends. That smoldering resentment is there. Maybe with your parents, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your boss, your kids, your neighbor. We've all got those things that are actually much bigger than my Achilles. And the hard thing is, as I laid there with this resentment going on, I kept having this feeling of, okay, like, you know what? I probably deserve this. I deserve to be laying there with a ruptured Achilles, kind of honestly really struggling. It hurt physically, but emotionally I was really a mess. 
could keep it together during the day, but I deserved the nighttime frustrations a whole bunch. Like, I deserved it. I'm not, I'm not a perfect guy, so I deserve this kind of retribution, right? But there was something about it that just felt wrong. I couldn't put my finger on it. When I had this moment, I really got to this point where I had to get this feeling. And I, honestly, this is the first time I've had this thing where like, I just have to look at the words because honestly, I don't know what this is. This happened last service, but I'm kind of stuck. Uh, I'm remembering what last year was like. And that stinks. I don't know if you're in that spot too. But I want you to hear this today. If you're facing hard challenges at work, and something just feels wrong about the whole thing. I think you may need to hear something today. I need you to hear me say that what happened to you, whatever that is, it was unfair. You didn't deserve it. God didn't design this world to operate the way it operates. God designed it to where we worked in perfect relationship with each other and with him. Guess what happened? We screwed it up. It's unfair. And one of the things that I needed, one of the things that I needed was to give credit that the fact that what happened, it wasn't fair. And this weird thing happened when I finally just said, okay, it's not fair. I didn't, I'm, I'm not a perfect guy, but I don't deserve this. It's not how God designed it. Something really cool happened. The only way to fix something, to get from the battle that we're in to the victory procession that Jesus wants us to go out in is to recognize that what we're dealing with is real. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 5.11. He says, have nothing to do with fruitless, the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Have nothing to do with unproductive deeds, but expose those things that are unproductive. And I want you to hear me today. If you're struggling with smoldering resentment and bitterness that's inside of you, I want you to hear me today. You cannot make fair out of an unfair situation. So stop trying. I don't know how many times I did the mental gymnastics to try to make it make sense in my head that it's fair that I deserve to be laying there on my floor instead of in my bed next to my wife. I tried to make it fair and it wasn't. It was driving me insane. We're born into a fallen world. Whether we're the, the victim of our own choices or whether we're the victim of someone else's choices. Like imagine we just survived a global pandemic and guess what? Some companies have downturns, right? Some companies have to make hard decisions. They can only keep the top five salespeople and you're number six. That's not fair. That stinks. The traffic signal was not working and both of you thought you were obeying the traffic light and you were and you collided. That's not fair. And we have to call a spade a spade. We don't have to justify it. We don't have to rationalize it. We don't have to make ourselves sound good, sound good. The world's just unfair. And unfair, it leaves us open to being offended. And here's where the choice comes in. You can choose to sit there and sit in unfair and only think about it. Think about it. Think about it like this. Think about like this chair is bitterness and resentment. I have fully have the choice to sit here the entire time while I heal and not do anything. I have that choice. Or I have the choice. Or I have the choice 
to forgive and move on. And so if you're here today and you would say like, I've got this bitterness inside of me. Okay, Dave, like, like, okay, so I'm calling my reality. What happened? I'm calling it unfair. What next? I'm here. I'm broken. I'm hurt. What do I do? The first thing that I think we have to step in to do, and we talked about a little bit here, is like you have to expose the objects of your bitterness. As I sat there last year laying on the floor, uh, I was hurting physically, but I, I, I like to think I can handle that. Uh, but I was also hurting emotionally and, and spiritually as well. But I wouldn't admit that I was actually dealing with that because by golly, I'm, just, I'm a tough guy. I got, I got a wife to, to make sure she's proud of me. I got kids that got to make sure they're proud of me, but I got I to gotta hold it together. Can't be unfair. I don't deal with unfair. But until we expose it, we can't actually overcome it. We can't make it a battle won because we're, we're trying to fight the wrong enemy here. Sandy can tell you there were nights last year when I was troubled with everything, whether it was my ankle, whether it was sleeping on the floor, uncomfortable with my leg up when I didn't want to lay there with my leg up. Again, try going home and sleep that way tonight. See if you can sleep. Like, I started getting in anything I could question, I did. I questioned whether my kids actually loved me or not. I questioned whether Sandy actually loved me or not. I questioned my calling back in April 2005. I believe, I know wholeheartedly God spoke to me in the lawn of my grandmother's house and called me to step into ministry. Believe that wholeheartedly still today. But last year, I questioned it because guess what? In 2005, people questioned whether I actually got a calling. And so last year, how many years later? I don't know. People, I found out, like, like, I started questioning the questions that people had about my calling back 20-something years ago, whatever, 15 years ago. If it could be questioned, I questioned it. And it's, 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 it's just unhelpful. And I've lost my spot, but that's okay. Here's the thing. Uh, The really hard part about the whole thing about bitterness uh, is I was bitter and I was stuck there. And even today, I, I feel that feeling of laying there, but here's the thing, I'm past that, but I'm remembering it, it stinks. And the Bible warns us about this feeling in Hebrews 12. It says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. One of the things I tried to do last year is I tried to just hold it in and deal with it myself because I'm a tough guy, I can handle it. But what really hurt is when I started seeing it affect Sandy as she would approach me wondering if I was gonna act out of bitterness and resentment. Seeing the boys, like if, if they were wondering who they were gonna get, bitter dad or just regular dad. And that's what really hit me really hard. And I'm thankful today as I sit here on Achilles 2.0 uh, that God gave me a wonderful example. And through his grace, I was able to receive. He gave me a great example. Not only Jesus, who is our overcomer, who fuels us and gives us the power to overcome, but someone who's a kind of a co-traveler that I could see some of my story in. And then also, admittedly, kind of be like, oh, that's jacked up. At least I'm not there. And this is a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. Anybody, Old Testament Joseph, remember him? Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, raise your hand. 
Do I need to go through the whole story? You raise your hand or the whole load's coming on you. We'll be here for two hours. This is nine chapters. Okay, all right. Thank you for playing my games. Old Testament Joseph. Here's, your, here's part of your homework, okay? This homework, and then it's gonna feed into the questions I want you to work through. I want you to go this week and read Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Sounds like a lot. Great story. It's 13 pages in my Bible. You can do it. That's like less than two pages a day, okay? You can do it. Read that this week. What we're going to do is we're going to do a Dave paraphrase and then we're going to take some lessons learned from it here. But what I want you to do, maybe you're sitting here like, Dave, I'm not a bitter person. I don't sit in that chair. Like that's that's never been a problem for me. Hold on to that. Let's listen to Joseph's story and then let's revisit that at the end. Okay. So Joseph, like, I don't know if you know, like Joseph was like a stud. Joseph saved like the generation of the Egyptian region from a seven year famine. Like Global in that in that era, like it would be like a global food pan, like epidemic where food crisis, food was not there. And Joseph, giving total credit to God, it was totally appropriate to God that God gave him the vision of how to do it. But he single handedly, like collected all the food, handled all the storage of the food, and then handled all the food distribution and handling all the arguments that came up from that process. Single handedly saved a generation. Who else in the room has done that? Not me. He's like a pretty big stud, right? Now, he didn't always stay there. He wasn't always there. There's a whole lot more to Joseph's story that you're gonna find out. You're gonna go read those details uh, this week. But I'm gonna paraphrase this. Joseph started out, he was the 11th of 12 children, okay? And you would think like after 10 kids, like you start forgetting them. However, Joseph, number 11, was his dad Jacob's favorite, like hands down, and Jacob had no problem telling the rest of the 11 that this guy's my favorite, okay? So that's great for Joseph because he got the cool clothes and didn't have to get all the hand-me-downs, but also not cool because his brothers hated him. And I don't mean like just if there's, you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. All hate, like hated. Like when he showed up, they plotted to kill him, right? Like I've tried to, I've wanted to throat punch my brother before, like at least once. Okay, I'm lying. Probably like 10 times, at least many times. I don't know how many times. I've wanted to. I've never once wanted to plot to kill him. His brothers did that because not only was he dad's favorite, he, God gave him two dreams. When, and, and again, Joseph needed some help on tact. That's kind of, we get that. You'll see that in the story. Doesn't negate the fact that God gave him dreams. He says, look, like your brothers are gonna bow down to you at some point. And Joseph probably not very well advised, goes to his brothers. He's like, hey, just so you know, someday you're going to bow down to me. Crazy, right? Well, they hated that even more than they hated the fancy coat that he got. And you can relate, right? Well, the problem is they took that one step further than I would take it. Like they took it. And one day he's coming out to the field and they plot to kill him. They're literally like, okay, which one of you is going to slit his throat? Because it's happening today. It's going down. And almost all of them agreed on it. Like that's bad. And so what they did agree on is throwing him in a well and leaving him to die. And the worst part is they sat down and had lunch with him in the well. Like that's a level of cold. That's, that's, that's cold. However, his brothers were also opportunists. So they saw a caravan of traders and like, hey, let's not just kill him. That's wasted money. Let's sell him. Let's sell him, build up this whole death scene. We're going to tell to dad, he's going to be sad, but he'll get over it because we've got 11 other brothers. Like what's not to love? Like he'll get over it. They get all of this stuff, sell him to Egypt. Can you imagine 
being betrayed by your family, not just a little bit, but like legit, we want him to die. Oh, no, wait, we'd rather make some money off of this. Can you imagine that level? Maybe, maybe you can relate to that a little bit in your family. We all got problems, right? Didn't call for Christmas, missed a birthday party, didn't get a gift, that kind of stuff. Well, Joseph, if, if, if I'm Joseph, like on the way to Egypt, I'm plotting my escape immediately. Like I'm in the back of that thing. I'm sitting in my chair like, okay, when's my time? Because I'm busting out of this joint. And what I'm going to, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go back. I'm going to find my brothers in a dark alley and I'm going to take them all down. Okay, I'm going to get hurt if I do that. I'm going to hire somebody to take them down, right? Like that's what I'm thinking about. Jo Joseph doesn't do that. It says, Joseph shows up in the house of Potiphar. He's sold to Potiphar and immediately Potiphar sees that he's, he's a darn good worker. He's a good worker and God's using him, making everything he does profitable. And so he puts him in charge of his entire household. Only problem is his wife thought he was the best worker too. And that landed Joseph unfairly, falsely accused in jail. Okay, fool me once, I could maybe overcome some bitterness, some resentment. Fool me twice and throw me in jail when I didn't even get a chance to like try something. Like then like, oh man, I'm mad. But not Joseph. Joseph shows up in the jail and do you know what it says? It, it, he shows up in the jail and it says, look at this. It says, Genesis 39, it says, before long the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything. Does that sound like a person who's like smoldering with bitterness, letting it pour out everywhere around them? No. Trust me, when I'm bitter, you'll know it. And you will not hand me everything. But Joseph... He's like, all right, God's putting me here. What's next? This stinks, but it's what I've got. And he makes the warden's place profitable. And the warden entrusts him with everything. I'd be sitting in the corner of my cell, again, plotting said escape, plotting said revenge plan. Like that's what I would be doing. Joseph's working where he is. He's betrayed by his brothers, falsely accused, thrown in prison. That's like, just like a step above dying. That's what their jails were like. It wasn't like this thing where your basic needs are met. It's basically like they didn't want to take the time to kill you. So they throw you in here. Like it's not a great place. But Joseph said, it's where I am. God wants to use me. So here I am. Next chapter. Pharaoh gets mad at two officials, the cupbearer and the baker, throws him in, them in the prison where Joseph is, and they have dreams. And Joseph is paying attention so much to all the prisoners, he notices that these two guys are distraught. So he goes with all his duties, he's like, hey, what's up? Like, what's up with you guys? They're like, hey, well, we had these dreams. We don't know what's, what that means. And he's like, in his presence, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna be honest, God and I have this thing. He tells me what dreams mean. You wanna try that? And so they take him up on it. And the cupbearer tells him the dream and Joseph's like, all right, here's what's gonna happen. In three days, Pharaoh's birthday, you're gonna be called in and you're gonna be reinstated to your position, given back all your honor. Cupbearer's like, sweet. Baker hears that and he's like, oh, here we go. This is great. Tells him his dream. Joseph's like, hmm. Okay, three days, Potiphar's birthday, you're gonna be called back in, except he's gonna impale you. You're gonna die. It's bad. Sorry about you. Love you though. Like, not good. And here's what happens. God's interpretation came true. 
Joseph tells the cupbearer, he's like, hey, dude, this is finally my ticket out. This is the guy who stands next to the king at every meal. This is my ticket out of here. Hey, when you get there, would you please tell them about my story? I'm, I was, you know, betrayed by my family, sold, un, like unofficially sold, betrayed, blamed for something I didn't do. And now here I am. Would you please put in a good word so that I can get out? Cupbearer's like, mm, I got you, dude. Thanks for that whole dream thing. That was really cool. I'll see you. And two years go by. The Bible says Pharaoh's chief cupbearer forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. You ever been there? Working hard for somebody? All you're asking is for a little help in return. And they never give you another thought. That's where Joseph was. But when Pharaoh calls two years later, Joseph's not sitting in a corner, smoldering with bitterness. He says, here we go. I'm your guy. God does this whole dream thing. I don't, but I'm here. And God gives him the dream that tells him about the famine. And Joseph steps in and saves the whole land. It's pretty awesome. But the journey to get there, oh, not awesome. Joseph was 17 when he was, when he was sold. He was right around 30 when he, when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. That's 13 years, betrayal, false accusations, being overlooked. He was still in a place to be used by God and he refused to become bitter and allow that to smolder inside of him and, and make him ineffective for God. That Hebrews 12, 15 passage says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you because it will corrupt many, it to corrupt many. Joseph kept proving to God that no matter the circumstance, he could be trusted with what God put in front of him. Because here's the thing, y'all know this, you've seen it play out plenty of times. You can do the right thing with the wrong motivation. If you're motivated by bitterness, it's going to come out somewhere. Something's gonna blow out, blow up, and, and, and you're, it's gonna come out. And a quick refresher for you and me. You have to expose the objects of your bitterness or it's gonna come out sideways. Can you see anything in your life that's mirrored in Joseph's along his path? Go back and read 37 through 50 this week and you're gonna find some more details. And I think you're gonna find a friend in Joseph that first thing we do is expose our bitterness, the objects of our bitterness. But the next three things, we're going to go pretty quickly. So take out your phone. When they pop up on the screen, snap a picture because I'm not waiting for you. All this is in my head and I'm way over time already. So the next step after exposing the object of your bitterness is one, to, to believe God is with you. What happened to you may be unfair, but there is never a moment that God has left you alone to walk through the unfair by yourself. He wants you to stand triumphantly in a victory parade. A parade is not by yourself. It's a pretty stinky parade if it's by yourself. A parade is with plenty of people who are standing victorious with you. For Joseph and all throughout his story, all throughout scripture, we see the Bible tell us, Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this, so much so. A person who didn't know God noticed and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. 
That happened with Potiphar, with the warden, and I'm sure Pharaoh experienced the same thing. This guy, Isaiah, a little bit later, Isaiah 41.10, Isaiah talking to the people of God from God. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I don't want anyone in this room or anywhere in the sound of my voice to sit here for a moment and continue thinking you are in this alone because you are not. Probably one of the hardest things at Achilles 1.0 was, uh, was night. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty blessed. I've got a really good example of Jesus in my life. And there were nights when I'd be laying there and I was just thinking, okay, this is mine to fight. I got to climb this hill. If anybody knew what was going on inside of my head, they're going to think I'm crazy. I'm going to be judged, rejected. Nobody needs to know that. So I try to fight it and climb this mountain by myself. And I'm slightly embarrassed, but more proud to say, uh, Sandy is the best example that I have of Jesus in my life. Sometimes a little creepy because I think she can read my mind. There were nights I'd be laying there, wide awake, can't sleep. We've talked about that. And she would leave her comfortable, warm bed. And trust me, when Sandy's sleeping, you don't wake her up. It doesn't happen. But she would leave her bed and come down to the floor and just lay on the floor next to me. She didn't have any amazing words of wisdom. I just knew she was there. And that meant the world. I want you to hear me today. If you feel like you're going through this bitterness, this smoldering feeling inside of you by yourself, you are not alone. That's from Satan. You have a community around this room, online, all over the place who will walk with you so that you never have that feeling. I want you to stop by and talk to us after service if that is you. We have small groups that you can get into and you can talk regularly with people. Walk with people. I don't want you to do this alone. God is with you and his people are with you also. And you're gonna need that because the next two things are really hard. To get out of bitterness, the next thing you need to do is cancel their debt. Expose the object of your bitterness. What is that thing? And then you're going to cancel their debt. This is kind of a cheater thing because we're going to spend much more time talking about this and how hard it is and the weight, the, what it takes to actually forgive next week. You're going to want to be there for next week as we wrap this up so that you can ex see how to experience this and we can go through this together. But what I want you to see about canceling debt from Joseph's life is a small detail I didn't realize until last Saturday night as I was reading, reading this story with Achilles 2.0. Small little detail in Genesis 41, 51 through 52. In the years of plenty before the famine, Joseph had two sons. And it said, Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of grief. I want you to imagine this. Joseph's family are the one who put him through years 
of accusations, blame, prison, not being around those who lo he loved. Imagine the weight that he was carrying of unforgiveness because they're the ones that started this. If only they had made a different choice. If only. Joseph experienced the ability to forget their sins towards him, their debt towards him, so much so that he named his children, the ones he's going to call and talk to, he named them, God has made me forget what my family has done. And not only that, he has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. Could you do that? I don't know. But what I do know is this is part of the process. The last thing, you may still be sitting there and you're like, Dave, I don't have a problem with bitterness. I, I don't sit. If this chair is bitterness, I really don't sit there. I, I don't, don't like it. I don't do that. I feel really good. I'm gonna, gonna challenge you here. The last step, the last part of this test of forgiveness and bitterness is bless your offender. Jesus tells us in Luke 6, he says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. I'm gonna be honest. I, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at the praying for those who hurt me. I, I really do. I, I, I work, I feel freedom when I actually lift them up and ask God to bless them. I feel, I feel really good about that. I feel a release. It's awesome. You should try it if you haven't gotten there. But I, I talked to several people this week and I found, I think all of them, I don't remember one who didn't say similar, same thing. I think we're all, we all think we're really good at this part. I ran several people through this scenario, including myself. And I, what I got was like, yeah, I'm not bitter. I've got all this in, under control. What happened is in the past. Like I'm totally good. Now here's the thing. Like I would never trust so-and-so again. I would never go to their company again. That's, that's great. That's okay. Like the Bible does not say to be naive to what they are doing, to their manipulations, to their tactics. It doesn't say that, but it does say you have to forgive them. And there's this, this weird test. Because I said, bitterness doesn't have a hold on me. And I'm going to be honest. I think Joseph said the same thing. I think Joseph was in the years of plenty and even in the years of famine, he's like, I got this whooped. Man, can you imagine? I'm the second in command. Whatever I say happens, nobody really challenges what I say because the Pharaoh's not really paying attention. I'm running everything. Like, I, I'm the man. I kind of got it figured out. I'm not helpless. I'm not a 17-year-old in the bottom of a well anymore. I'm a grown man. Until... Till the day that they showed up at his door and they needed what only he had. I'd love to say that Joseph just immediately like, open up the floodgates, whatever you need, all is forgiven. But here's the one time where I'm like, go Joseph, because you know what he did? He went in and man, he sat in that seat and he was like, ooh, finally redemption, Jack Bauer, here we go. He planted, he charged him with thievery. He, he put them in jail. He said, hey, head back and bring your brother. Then go back and get your dad. Like he ran them through the ringer. And here's what I think. I think that was the one moment he actually gave in to the bitterness that he had. And he's like, over my dead body, can you get away with this? Because I'm going to let you have it now. 
But there's this one crazy moment where he was trying all this. And I think he's sitting here. He's like, oh, this feels good. And then all of a sudden he realizes I'm stuck here. And in Genesis 50, verse 20, he just says, it's me. It's Joseph. And he can't do it anymore. And then he says this. He says, what you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. I'll be honest. I thought before I was done with this thing, I got this thing whooped. I'm good. Passed the test of forgiveness. Until I got to this spot. I wish Joseph had just like, they had just cut this part of, the, of his story out. Like when he had it whooped, he was the hero. But what do we do with this? I think many of us have got somebody or something in mind that's the object of your bitterness and you've, been, you've done good with me till this point. And I want to ask you this question. We'll wrap it up. If God brought that person that's on your mind in front of you, could he trust you to care for them? I don't know the answer to that one. I got some wrestling to do on my own in Achilles 2.0. But here's what I do know. It may never happen. It, it, it may never happen at all. And, and you know, I, we can play out scenarios all day long and I can't sit down very long. You guys, the cameramen know me and they're like, oh, great. <laughs> here's what I know. Many of us think that we can handle the seat of bitterness. We're strong enough. We're tough enough. But I want you to know, just like Joseph, you're not. Because we will misuse that. But you know what my favorite part of this whole story? Is that we don't have to do this alone. Jesus is the one who not only deserves to sit in the seat of bitterness, but he can handle the responsibility that that brings. And you can trust him to not deal with you out of your bitterness. You can trust him to deal fairly and justly and gracefully with you. So what I wanna do is I, I really just wanna pray for, for you right now. Just, and honestly, it's just for me. This has been my thinkings for last year and a half. And I'm thankful you let me share it with you. But what I wanna do is if you're here today and you would say, you know what, uh, I, I need to work through some bitterness. What I would love for you to do, I want you to know you're not alone. I'd love for you to raise your hand. Like I need to work through some bitterness in my own life. If that's you, raise your hand. You can raise it very quickly. Well, that's awesome, man. Y'all look around, you're not alone. We're doing this together. But I also wanna say a prayer for those of you who maybe don't know the grace that Jesus brings. And what I wanna do is I wanna have a conversation with you. Paulie and I will be over here. We'd love to talk with you about what it is to trust Jesus, to accept his grace and to let him sit in that seat you've been trying to occupy for far too long. So would you join me right now and let's pray.
God, I thank you. God, I thank you honestly for just taking what has been not fun seasons in my own life and teaching me different things throughout the steps. But God, I thought I was done with Achilles 1.0. I thought I had it all figured out what you were trying to teach me. And then I realized now that, that, that I don't know that I would pass the test that you have for me. And God, I think there are more fellow travelers like me out there. And I ask that you would allow your grace your spirit to cover us and to empower us to let go of bitterness and to not only cancel debt, but God, to be ready to be used by you to bless those around us because we have been called for such a purpose as this, to work for the good of those around us but and not let bitterness affect everyone around us. And God, for those who don't know you but are ready to accept you today, I ask that they would take the bold step of getting out of their chair and coming and accepting you today. God, I'm thankful to see what happens when we let go of the root of bitterness and allow you to work and allow our bitterness to not infect everything around us, God, but to let your grace surround us so that everyone can experience that. And God, I'm thankful for what you've done here today and what you're going to do through us. We ask all of these things in the mighty name of the grace giver, Jesus Christ. Amen.